Hello, and welcome to Texas State Choirs Today. I'm so happy to be joined today by composer, singer, teacher, Dr. Rosephanie Powell. She is at Auburn University, and she has been here with us the past couple of days working with our choirs, uh, working with our choirs with her music. It's been very exciting, and I'm had happy to introduce her to you today. Thank you very much for being here, Dr. Powell. It is so good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, most of our listeners are uh, undergraduates, so i like to start with having you tell us about your undergraduate experience and where did you go and what were the uh, formal moments for you? Is there a teacher you'd like to give a shout out to? Just uh, let's start telling us about your undergraduate. Well, I, I attended uh, Alabama State University in Montgomery, Alabama, which is an uh, HBCU, meaning a historically uh, black uh, university. And um, I, I majored in music education, uh, vocal emphasis. And uh, that experience for me was um, very special uh, because it... it, it uh, the HBCUs uh, are institutions where, you know, African-Americans can go and learn more about our uh, musical culture. And uh, one of the things that we really delved into as it relates to choral music was performing music by African-American composers. So before uh, I went to uh, Alabama State, I was not even aware of there being classical uh, composers, male or female, uh, and so being at that institution, in addition to, you know, the, the typical education that we get in musical studying Bach, you know, Beethoven, Mozart, Haydn, and others, we were able to learn about all of these uh, black classical composers such as William Grant Steele and William Dawson and uh, Undine Smith-Moore. So th that that experience was one that I didn't realize at the time would influence who I became as a composer. And uh, is there one of those composers that kind of carries over into your works, or probably all of them do, but is there one that you, you really felt attached to? You know, the, the first one that I, I uh, felt strongly attached to was William Grant Steele, who is considered the dean of African-American composers. Uh, his... He was the first African-American composer to have uh, uh, a symphony performed uh, out in California by major orchestra. And as a uh, vocal major, I studied his uh, art songs. Uh, a, a one that was very popular at the time was uh, Songs of Separation. And uh, I think I loved his music because he, he was a lyricist wrote beautiful melodies, whether it was instrumentally or vocally. I think, uh, because my focus at the time was on art song literature, uh, he influenced me uh, as a composer in that I'm especially drawn to allowing the voice to sing, uh, in, in addition to providing harmonic colors. So I credit William Grant Steele with that because my my both my master's and doctoral thesis uh, both of those were on his works.
I feel like the general population is just getting to know those composers now. We're just starting, orchestras are just starting to perform them now. So how wonderful for you to have, have, have had that in, in your education. I kind of wish I had that in the education uh, I had. Uh, one of the things I admire so much about you is that uh, you're not only a composer, uh, but a singer and a professor and a researcher. Uh, we were talking earlier, I can tell that you like to be busy. <laughs> you, you like to have things going on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, composing and singing. I'd like to hear about your research. Uh, wh what's the research that, that you've done or that you're, you're working on? Well, you know, <clears throat> right now, uh, I, my husband and I jo jointly have completed uh, a manual that is supposed to be released by our publisher next year. And uh, the research is... Um, uh, the ethnic anthem, the spiritual, and um, gospel music. Is there a difference? Because in choral music, uh, African-American sacred music is off, often miscategorized. So, uh, you know, people will program a, a, an, a, an anthem or an ethnic anthem by a composer, and they'll call it a spiritual, or they'll call it gospel, or vice versa. They'll call gospel music a spiritual or a spiritual gospel. So uh, we, we uh, after doing our research, we, we put together a manual where we show uh, uh, conductors and singers alike what's the difference between the three styles. And then uh, I have a, a second manual that I've done alone in uh, helping singers who do, who want to perform spirituals but are not from uh, that tradition to understand how to speak the dialect of the African-American spiritual, and that's to be coming out. So it's a diction manual uh, that helps people to speak the dialect and, and understand what some of the rules are for speaking the, uh, the slave dialect of the African-American spiritual. But before this, uh, I published articles on uh, the art songs of William Grant Steele and as well uh, Samuel Coleridge Taylor, uh, introducing um, uh, the Nats Journal and uh, National Association of Teachers of Singing uh, and others to these works by African-American. Uh, well, uh, William Grant Steele is an African-American composer, and, and, and uh, I've published articles on him. But uh, Samuel Coleridge Taylor, Taylor uh, is a European composer that many people didn't know uh, composed art songs. So that, in addition to my um, my research on the role of the African-American spiritual in building community in the slave community, uh, those have been my areas of research. That's wonderful. And I'm uh, just going to go back. I'm fascinated by this, the differences between a spiritual and, and a gospel. Can you give us a, a, a few of what are the differences? I, I, I myself always feel a bit uncomfortable that it's not my background. Am I doing this right? You, I'm excited about the, 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 the diction book as well. Like, another source to help us do it right. I don't mm. want to just do it cheap. I, I want to do the right thing. Can, mm -hmm. can you give us a, a few things that, about gospel and spirituals and the difference between the two? Well, without going into too much detail, generally, the spiritual is uh, a, a type of music. As a matter of fact, the spiritual is considered by many anthropologists and musicologists as the first true American folk song. All of the other folk songs were brought from Europe 
but the 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 African American spiritual, which was an outgrowth of the Africans' musical influences, combined with these European influences that came through hymns and uh, uh, other types and folk songs of the uh, those who were from uh, other countries. This this music, which was the outgrowth of the slave community, um, was a a raw vocal production. And it was used to be to to build community, meaning that the slave did not have permission to express emotion uh, by the, the 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 slave owners. So they developed this type of communication through what was acceptable, which was this sacred music, because many of the slave owners thought to Christianize a a slave and and use uh, biblical references to make them to be be. Uh, obedient to their their masters and okay with slavery they were permitted to sing these hymns and so the slave took these hymns and developed a secret means of communication through between mask and symbol meaning that they would they would b- compose these songs that were based on the bible but for everything they sung there was a symbol related to it so for israelites always represented the slave uh, uh goliath always represented the the massa david always represented the slave because david was the little boy coming up against this giant and and i'm digressing i love talking about the spiritual but so this this music was an out, was a means of the slave expressing his emotion. But there, because they were folk song, there were no composers. So that's the first difference. Every new work or arrangement you hear of a spiritual is just that. It's an arrangement of these raw folk songs that were sung in slavery. The second thing is in in concert music, these songs most often uh, are or originally when they were arranged by William Dawson, Hall Johnson and others, they were arranged to be performed a cappella. And so I guess I should show the contrast. Gospel music normally has a composer. So spirituals generally have just an arranger. Um, uh, spirituals are generally composed to be to, uh, arranged to be performed on concert stage, a cappella. But we now have some that are accompanied by orchestra, uh, different uh, solo instruments, and as well piano. So over contemporary times, they're developing to where they have accompaniment. But most of your spirituals are going to be performed a cappella by a choir. Whereas gospel music is composed to be performed with uh, what we would call a church band. So it's going to have piano, it's going to have Hammond organ, it's going to have drums or bass. You can even add sax and other instruments. So again, that's a difference. Uh, the, The spiritual is going to be performed with slave dialect, where gospel music is going to be performed in the vernacular which is, you know, whatever the, 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 the speech is of the people. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, spirituals are normally going to have a text that's based on the Old Testament um, and, and about the stories of the Israelites and their, their experiences, whereas uh, gospel is normally going to be New Testament or it's just going to be about somebody's experience uh, in, in how the gospel, the good news, has transformed their lives. So those are some general um, um, 
differences between sure. the, the what styles about, of music. What about tone quality? In my mind, I think of gospel oh, as a more heavy, mm-hmm. chesty kind of sound. Yes. Uh, is, uh, talk to us about the difference in terms of vocal production. Oh, what a great, great question. The the In concert music, the spiritual is going to be performed more with a classical European vocal production that is typical of classical uh, art song and concert music, whereas gospel is is normally going to be performed more with uh, what we call non-legit vocal uh, style of production. And classical music is considered within popular music to be uh, 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 legit, meaning this classical production, whereas uh, gospel music is meant to be performed in more of a pop uh, fashion, like you said, with a more raw uh, vocal production. Uh, classical music is also going to have a lot more, I mean, um, gospel music is going to have a lot more improvisation um, since it grew out of jazz and the blues, whereas the spiritual is you're going to sing that arrangement just as it is on the page, whereas gospel music, you're not a skilled gospel singer unless or soloist unless you can ad lib. And, and, and take the melody that's on the page and improvise on it. Is it right to say that gospel is mostly taught by rote, or is that an old tone? Oh, you know, uh, both of the types of music were originally uh, taught by rote. However, because we, we now have concert arrangers who are composing, who are arranging this music to, to be performed by people who don't, who don't come from the tradition, you're right, uh, the, the concert spiritual, you're going to read right off the, the page and you're going to do whatever the arranger uh, says to do according to, you don't really digress from what's on the page. Where in gospel music, hey, generally you're going to teach it by rote, although um, some of us uh, who are uh, classically trained com- composers are composing our own gospel uh, concert style music, which is different from what you would hear on the radio, even within my gospel works, it's anticipated that uh, the soloist is is going to use my, my, what I put on the page as a guide, and then from there, they're going to, uh, you know, again, improvise, but even with the gospel choir that uh, my husband and I have at Auburn University, we don't use music. You know, we, we teach everything by road. And it's so wonderful that when students, who especially music majors, when they come in, you know, uh, and they're not uh, from the African-American tradition, they're like, where's the music? Mm-hmm. And we're like, it's in our heads. No, it's a totally different skill. It's, it's a different skill, and we, we will find that those 
students who come from the African-American church tradition, ear training is not difficult for them because they've grown up using their ears. Right. And But their problem is reading music unless they've been in a program where they have to read music. Right. And it's vice versa with those who have come reading music. We're like, hey, you you watch your your ear training is is going to be improved from being in gospel choir for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's terrific. It, you you mentioned a moment ago about the the gospel pieces that you've written. Tell us a little bit about your process of composing and and how you go through through that, make those come to a reality. For me. Uh, Composition is about uh, using music to um, strengthen and emote what the poet has written. So I have a love of poetry, and so generally when I read a poem, if it, if it moves me emotionally, it, it, it starts guiding me into a composition. And so generally what I will do is I will read uh, a, a, a poem re- repeatedly. So for today, one of the choirs is working on uh, my composition, uh, To Sit and Dream. And it is a poem by Langston Hughes. So the process for me is normally, so for, when I first came across Langston's poem, I just, when I read it, I was immediately um, moved by this particular poem, and and it, it reads, to sit and dream, to sit and read, to sit and learn about the world, outside our world of here and now, our problem world. To dream of vast horizons of the soul, of dreams made whole, unfettered, free. Help me, all you who are dreamers too, help me make our world anew. I reach out my hand to you. It's a very short poem. And so the, 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 I felt like my job was to take these words and use music to hopefully express what Hughes was saying through this poem. So the first thing I do when I read a new poem is I go and I, after I've read it over and over and feel like, oh, I relate so well to this, I then go and do as much research as I can on the poet. So in doing that research, I learned that uh, Langston Hughes uh, uh, was a poet of the Harlem Renaissance, which was a time in the 1950s and 60s when when, uh, um, African-American intellectuals and artists, poets, novelists, painters were all gathering in Harlem. And this was a place for the up-and-coming intellectuals to come together and and to just enjoy being these intellectuals and um, getting this, this personal satisfaction and pleasure out of 
the African-American community having a contribution to intellectualism and writing, painting, singing about that which was uh, uniquely black. And so it, it, they were hanging out at the jazz clubs and and with, with people like Duke Ellington, and you would have a poet that would, would be speaking, and the next thing you know, somebody's up on a sax playing. It was and and they would they would do this throughout the day and throughout the night. And so in this particular poem, I imagined Langston Hughes having spent the night at a jazz club, and he's he's coming home, and that particular morning, he's seeing all of the violence and the and the the you know a husband and wife arguing. He's he goes by a newsstand and he picks up this paper, and it's it's about wars that are that are going on, wars he doesn't support, and all of these the, the, the things that are going on between the races in America, and he picks up this paper and a husband and wife are yelling out on the streets at each other. He's headed to work. She's angry. And he picks up this paper and someone's come and stolen up the paper from the guy who sells the paper on, on, on the streets of New York. He picks up this paper and he walks to his home, goes in the door, opens the door, and there's nothing but silence. And he takes that paper and he sits down, drops his keys down, and he looks at the paper and all that's in the paper is so dark and heavy. And that's where he's, this is where to me the poem comes, to sit and dream, to sit and read about our world, our problem world. And that sends him into a place of thought. And then in the dream for me, where the, the poem goes, outside our world of here and now. He's now start to daydream. He's, the paper is laying in his, in his lap, and now, if you hear in my piano part, it becomes dreamy in how the piano... It sure does. Because he's, he's coming into this dream, and after a while, he is transported outside the world, looking down from the universe at the earth and all of this ugliness... And in that place, in this, in this apartment or home where he's living, he's outside the world, this problem world. And I, at that time, he dreams of vast horizons, and he's in the vast horizons. And then I place the voices higher. The voices are placed at, at the highest point of singing the song because that represents the vast horizons of the soul. And then because he was a jazz poet, I set the, the speech up when we say unfettered. I actually have them do dramatic speech instead of singing that free. Help me. So they're to speak that on pitches. And then there's a repetition after that where they start saying, I reach out my hands to you. I reach out my hand to you. And I have each vocal part entering at a different point because at that point in the dream, Langston Hughes sees himself in the dream come out of his apartment, come out to the streets of New York. He reaches out to a person, and that person reaches out to another person. So every voice part that comes in is another person reaching out to another person, and then eventually they're walking down the street. And everybody on the streets of New York is walking hand in hand because everybody reaches out to another person. And in his dream, they're walking together as one humanity. And at that point, 
he finds himself awake in his home, just sitting in his chair, because he realizes it may only happen when he sits and dreams. And so harmonically and, and vocally, the song ends at be, it, as it begins with the same melodic line because the dream begins and ends in his apartment and the world is still the same. Thank you so much for that. That's such useful information. That it's, uh, the piece is done often and I, that, that is just absolute musical gold. So that, that really was very, very helpful. And, and I loved your description of Langston Hughes. Now, of all the things that you do, you're a composer, singer, you're also conductor, quite, uh, quite active as a conductor. Both composer and conductor are forms of communication. Do you find a way that you're able to put those together or do you wear two completely different hats? Uh, between composer... Composer and conductor. What I enjoy as a conductor... I, well, I think my being a composer informs who I am as a conductor. Uh, because for me, so often as conductors, we're about the notes being right, the rhythms being right, you know, uh, the melodic line being what it should be, the, the harmonies being tight, blend, intonation. But I think as a composer, I'm always working with a choir to interpret what's going on in the lyrics and what's going on musically. So a lot of uh, times the students when, when I, or singers that I'm working with, they'll come in, they've got those notes and rhythms learned. And when I say, well, what is the song about? I get blank faces. And I find as a conductor, there's a lot I don't have to fix. Just saying, well, give me staccato here. Uh, give me an emphasis on this word, this syllable. When we take the time to say, what is the song about? What do I feel about the song? A lot of those things get worked out because once you put the feeling with or, or your interpretation with it, you then start to sing it the way it might be spoken, which means the stresses fall where they should be. And we then start thinking more as an ensemble as to how we're going to communicate this to an audience and get an audience to feel what we feel about the music and the text. So I think they're related for me, and one informs the other. Uh, because I'm conducting, it, it makes me think about how I'm going to uh, compose the lyrics. How do I see, what are the, the difficulties I see a choir will have with you know, you know, uh, where I'm putting the voices. You know, sometimes as composers, we will go and, 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 and throw, put the voice in a, a very uncomfortable place for an extended period. And then the conductor's trying to get them to sing it well, but it's not composed well because it's put in, in a particular place and with particular vowels. We all love that when composers do that. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So they, I think they inform each other. Good, good. Yeah, that, that, that completely makes sense. Uh, what is your favorite piece of yours? Ooh. I, I tell people often it's the, it's the piece that I'm working on, you know, because as I start huh. to compose, I, 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 I go into this world where at that time uh, it, it's moving me because I don't compose unless a text moves me. 
Uh, and then at other times, it's it's what I'm working on, you know, what I'm conducting with a choir. But um, the word was God <clears throat> was my first published work, uh, which which um, I, I think is very special to me because it is really what um, opened the door for me to become a composer. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in and the beginning with God. Uh, but there's a, a song that I've done uh, entitled Still I Rise that has served as like a mantra for a lot of women's choruses. And I've even, uh, there have been a number of uh, women who have contacted me with pictures of tattoos where being in a choir singing that song, uh -huh. they now have it tattooed. And, and, and wow. that is so meaningful as a composer sure. to know that this song was used to get them through a rough patch. Uh, so that one's a very special, but um, there's one that I've composed uh, with What Shall I Come that I composed for uh, Anton Armstrong for his 25th an uh, anniversary mm -hmm. with St. Olaf uh, that has uh, a violin obbligato with it, uh, which is, is very uh, special to me as well. Wonderful. Uh, I'll share a story with you about The Word Was God. Uh, when it first came out, I was living in New York City, and I was singing at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And, and uh, we just rehearsed Sunday morning. It was a professional choir, hands it out. We do the service, then we go. And that morning we got, uh, it was all very new, and uh, the word was God. What is this? I was in love with it. By the time we left that service, I just thought, what a magnificent piece of music. It's all just right, right there. It's very clear. Thank it's you. not hard to sing. But it's beautiful and and fantastic and exciting. So that was that was also my first in, uh, introduction to your music, and I was very happy to uh, follow you since then. Thank you. What's your favorite piece that you didn't compose? Ooh, you know that that's hard. Um, you know, I would say as a conductor. Um, there's, uh, oh, uh, Elaine, oh, I've forgotten her last name. You might know her name. Uh, starts with an H. Uh, she composed, uh, uh, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, uh, which is really, uh, very popular among, uh, SSAA choirs. Uh, there's a Dies Irae by, um, uh, Stroop. I know that. Piece, yeah, yeah. But, but also, I think one of my favorite works would be the Verity Requiem. I sit and weep over that so often, just the power. That's another work that influenced my composition. Um, I just love the works of Verity. Um, so if I could have composed that, it would have been wonderful. <laughs> I'm sure yours will be much better. I'm sure yours is much better. We all, everybody in the business knows that you're going all the time. You you like to be busy, and you're just you're on a plane a lot. What do you do just for you? 
What What do you do when you're not running around? You know, <clears throat> I, I I plant herbs. I I I I do that for relaxation, and uh, I I love to take uh, long walks. Uh, I bike, um, and I love to read. Uh, I I one of my favorite things to do is to get on my deck, get a good book, and just read until I'm interrupted. But I do love long walks, uh, just looking up at nature and uh, the beauty and the peacefulness, the quietness of just it. Just being your own. Just being. I like that, just being. Because we're working. <laughs> we're working so much, sometimes we lose that. Right. Tell us about uh, uh, upcoming performances that you have. Uh, well, um, uh, next weekend... I'll be in uh, New York uh, with a performance. I'll be narrating my multi-movement work, The Cry of Jeremiah, uh, with a choir, um, uh, a mass choir that will be performing at Carnegie Hall. Uh, so I'll be doing that next weekend, and um, I have a couple of other uh, performances of that same work. I can't even remember the university that I'll be doing it with the weekend or two after that. And then at the end of May... Um, uh, my university choir, in addition to uh, several other choirs, will be performing that work as well as some of my other works at a performance of music by uh, African-American composers in London. So uh, I, that it's unusual for me, but uh, this work, uh, The Cry of Jeremiah, I will be doing like four times within the next... Four weeks. How no, exciting. no, five. I can't remember if it's four or five. So um, that will be, uh, I, I, that's a work I enjoy performing. So I look forward to hearing how each choir interprets it differently in each conductor yeah. and orchestra. And that's okay to hear them yeah. interpret oh, it differently. Yes, if it sounds artistic and beautiful, regardless of the interpretation, it's all good. Yes. Dr. Powell, it has been such a pleasure having you here on Texas State Choirs today. I, I thank you for taking the time to be here at Texas State and also here for this interview. Uh, all the best to you. Thank you all for listening. This is Jonathan Babcock, and thank you for listening to Texas State Choirs today. Oh, yeah.